listeners, and welcome to the 19th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take ourselves about as seriously as we take Manchester United's chances in the Champions League next year. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I am indeed a fan of the sport of soccer, which I play weekly with my occasional co-host, Mike Lavazetta, his wife Jess, and my wife Kira, along with several other of our friends. Uh, while it's a recreational league, and actually the very bottom of the recreational leagues, I might add, I tend to take it a little too seriously sometimes and overexert myself trying for my shot at Sunday Sea League glory. This resulted a couple weeks ago in me diving over an oncoming keeper and separating my right shoulder. Uh, it's been pretty tough to drive and nearly impossible to sleep uh, the past week and a half. So I got an x-ray yesterday morning and started physical therapy today. Uh, it's amazing how much you take for granted when you have two working arms, and I'm definitely getting an appreciation for that sort of ambidextrous functionality this week. Uh, in any case, you didn't come here to listen to me discuss my own flesh wounds. You came for car news, so let's get on with it. This week's top stories. First up, the biggest news this week was the, quote, retirement, I'm using air quotes, of Ford CEO Mark Fields, who is groomed for a long time to fill that role. Uh, ultimately, though, Ford hasn't quite kept up under Fields' leadership with GM's launch of the, the all-electric Bolt, beating Ford to a mainstream EV. Uh, GM also partnered with Waymo to advance their autonomous vehicle development, an area where Ford has fallen seriously behind. Uh, more than anything else, there was a sense that Ford had been rather slow to react to things and needed to be quicker on its feet to meet the uh, evolving demands of consumers these days. And Fields was apparently not the guy to get the company there. Investors agreed, and Ford's stock price is down 35% since he took over in 2014. And as with anything in business, if the shareholders don't have your back, you better start to pack. And uh, that's not actually a real business saying. I just made it up, but it really sounds like it should be one, right? So uh, <laughs> let's try to get that going. Fields is going to be fine, though, with his uh, golden parachute carefully woven with $58 million worth of cash and stock options. Uh, being CEO is truly the only job where when you get fired, you also win the lottery. Uh, that uh, must be nice. Uh, Ford has appointed Jim Hackett as the new CEO, and he'll look to start shaking things up immediately with some fresher products and faster product cycles, though we may not really see anything from the, F, uh, the effects of his work until around 2019. Uh, we will, however, see what kind of shock this is to Ford's corporate culture and their system, and uh, maybe they'll start being more competitive moving forward. Also this week, uh, Le Echo, which is the Chinese parent company of definitely totally real electric car maker Faraday Future, announced its plans to eliminate 325 jobs after failing to raise enough money to keep those people around. There have been reports from Electric that dozens of employees have also been walking out after reading the writing on the wall and trying to escape the sinking ship. Faraday has insisted to Forbes that 
these layoffs and the departures at the parent company and at Faraday itself have not impacted its plans to build a factory and a car by the end of next year, which is surely only a greater sign that they really have no idea what they're talking about or doing. Uh, as further evidence, Faraday Futures uh, CFO Stephen, sorry, Stefan Krauss uh, has tried to reassure employees by telling them that the company hopes to raise a billion dollars to keep their plans on track. As far as reassurances go, that's like me saying I hope to be the first person to circumnavigate the world in an amphibious uh, 1991 Acura NSX. I, I have no idea how that would happen, and I have no plans for how I might get that to work, but hey... It could theoretically happen, so that's confidence-inspiring, right? Um, in diesel news, uh, there's a lot of diesel news this week. I'm trying not to bore you guys too much with it. Um, Fiat Chrysler was sued by the Department of Justice and EPA, both of whom were apparently not satisfied with the company's efforts to resolve their diesel cheating issues. Uh, this is fairly different from the Volkswagen Dieselgate crisis, though, and it basically comes down to one thing, which is deception. Uh, for a bit of background, cars are allowed to exceed emission standards uh, under certain normal driving conditions and for various reasons, be they safety or reliability. Um, auxiliary Emissions Control Devices, or AECDs, are what allow the car to exceed emission standards, and AECDs must be disclosed to the government so they can say whether or not they're legit. Basically, Fiat Chrysler dropped the ball on this, much like they do on a lot of things. And so these AECDs were basically acting like defeat devices in the car, allowing them to belch out additional nitrogen oxide at a higher-than-allowed rate under normal driving conditions. That's a no-no, and the government has called them out on the tech, which was in more than 100,000 Ram 1500s and Jeep Grand Cherokees. Uh, while the settlement they inevitably reach won't be anywhere near what Volkswagen saw, It'll still be expensive and still could have been prevented if people at the company would have just done their jobs. Uh, GM was also sued today, actually, uh, for more than 700,000 Silverado and Sierra diesel pickups, which the government claim make use of a defeat device to circumvent testing. Uh, GM and its co-defendant Bosch, who actually makes most of GM's diesel components, are calling the lawsuit baseless and have vowed to fight it tooth and nail. Uh, Daimler, meanwhile, uh, who used to make really reliable Mercedes-Benz vehicles and now just makes Mercedes-Benz vehicles, has had 11 of their corporate offices raided by German authorities who are trying to smoke out any evidence of diesel cheating by the German manufacturer. Uh, the U.S. is getting in on the Act 2 with the Department of Justice and California Air Resources Board requesting the information that the German authorities are finding. Uh, it's too early to say what might come of this, but y you certainly think that the cops wouldn't go to the trouble of raiding a place unless they were pretty sure they were going to find something. Uh, finally, a French publication called Le Monde in estimated that Volkswagen sold $26 billion worth of cheating diesels in France alone. And now, of course, that's not $26 billion in outright profit, but you can start to see sort of 
why just maybe they wanted to conceal the whole thing from the beginning because they they were making a lot of money on it. Uh, meanwhile, uh, not content to keep all their bad news in one week, one week last week, Uber made headlines again this week for allegedly underpaying drivers in New York City over the last couple of years. And we're not talking a penny or two per fare here either. Uh, Bloomberg is reporting that Uber's back paying an average of $900 per driver which could end up costing the company $45 million that they really needed to spend on other things like uh, their lawyers. Uh, To that point, Uber has threatened to fire the engineer that they hired from Google who brought his 14,000 secrets to Uber's autonomous driving division. This is sort of an abrupt uh, about-face for Uber, who had been denying any wrongdoing, Now all of a sudden they're like, whoa, hey, this guy did something wrong? Really? Well, we can just fire him and that'll be the end of it, right? Right? Superb management, Uber. Um, The New York Times uh, has also reported that Uber's relationship with Pittsburgh, who, in the mayor's own words, rolled out the red carpet rather than the red tape, because he's so clever, um, for the ride-sharing company. Uh, Uber has apparently not been holding up their end of the bargain with the city, charging drivers for autonomous fares that were supposed to be free. It hasn't been creating jobs in underserved parts of the city, and it recently withdrew its support of a $50 million federal grant for the city to improve its transportation services. That is pretty shitty, you know, coming into a city that's promising to let you test your autonomous vehicles and saying, yeah, I'll totally support you in this $50 million endeavor, and then completely bailing on it. Uber is even managing to make enemies of its friends, which is truly impressive. Uh, In our final Uber news, in Hong Kong, police have arrested 21 Uber drivers who have been driving for the company without the required taxi licenses, which is something Uber has been reluctant to require of its drivers in the U.S., which has led to a lot of political and legal issues for the company. Uber insists that it is ride-sharing and not a taxi service, which is a distinction pretty much nobody else makes. Um, I guess their Grayball law enforcement software isn't working quite so well in China, huh? Speaking of China, though, Geely, the... I think it's pronounced Geely. Geely, the Chinese car company that owns Volvo, uh, has purchased Lotus... Uh, the British sports car maker and a controlling share in its parent company, Proton, uh, from a company in Malaysia. Volvo has seen a real resurgence since Geely purchased them, coming out with the uh, new, better XC90 the, uh, for the first time in what seems like 20 years, uh, as well as debuting the new XC60, the upcoming XC40, and the S and V90 sedan and wagon, respectively. Geely is hoping to engineer the same sort of turnaround for Lotus, who delivered the first profit in the company's history just last year while selling only the Evora, the Elise, and Exige, which is really just a hardcore Elise, and the track-only 311. Uh, You may recall that Lotus went a bit nuts uh, in the past couple years and debuted a ton of new cars, including a new Esprit, which uh, would be the sort of uh, the relaunch of the powerful mid-engine sports car that James Bond drove for a while, both on land and underwater for a little while. 
with the financial backing of a big, powerful Chinese company, we may see Lotus finally have the resources it needs to deliver on all of those wedge, wedge-shaped promises, uh, even if that means uh, the Chinese being at the reins of Colin Chapman's former company. Uh, just remember, guys, simplify and add lightness. Uh, our last top story comes from Texas, where everything is bigger, including these stories about car theft. Apparently, 28-year-old Tanya Albrecht was interested enough in a beige Chevy Suburban to notice the keys resting in the unlocked vehicle's ignition, so she took it upon herself to liberate the car from the parking lot. A short while later, Tanya, observant girl that she is, also noticed the corpse behind her and decided to liberate that from the vehicle onto the side of the road as a sign of respect for the deceased, of course. Uh, Yes, this Chevy Suburban was contracted by a local funeral home to transport bodies and had a fresh one inside when Tanya decided to get all sticky-fingered. Uh, naturally, Tanya and her boyfriend, Adam Crow, who you can pick out of a crowd immediately because his name is tattooed on his own neck, much like your mom used to write your name on the inside of your waistband of your briefs, they didn't make it far and were picked up by the cops soon after. Tanya not only earned herself a charge of unauthorized use of a motor vehicle, she also got abuse of a corpse tacked onto that. Uh, Adam's tattoo, while also terrible, did not yet earn him earn him the uh, abuse of a corpse charge. Now, uh, since a lot happened this week, we're going to knock some of those out with some quick hits. We learned this week that the Tesla Model 3, which Tesla would like you to know is not the third generation Model S, will do the 0-60 to 60 sprint in 5.6 seconds, which is comparable with a lot of sports sedans that make around 300 horsepower, making it a pretty good bang for the buck at 35 grand. Tesla also indicated that the range will be somewhere around 215 miles on a charge, 15, not 50, which obviously is not the case if you're constantly punching it to get to 60 in less than 6 seconds. So in case you are one of the confused buyers who thought the next Model S was going to cost one-third the price, have the same range, and go just as fast, let this be the clarification that you need to read. Michigan has partnered with 3M to install the hardware to make a section of I-75 into a connected highway, offering some level of vehicle-to-vehicle communication and information sharing between the cars and the road and vice versa. It sounds like this will primarily be used for weather alerts at first, but it'll become a test bed for this tech as it gets integrated into cars. The stretch of the highway could become uh, pretty important in terms of determining the overall viability of physical vehicle-to-vehicle infrastructure, or uh, could just mean more traffic will get in the way because auto companies will be using it for testing all the time. Anyway, enjoy, Michigan drivers! German auto parts company Bosch announced this week that it has developed a prototype vehicle-to-vehicle communication system to let motorcycles and other vehicles communicate to each other to reduce the risk of accidents. They say this sort of digital protection shield could prevent nearly a third of all motorcycle accidents. They have focused on motorbikes here because riders are 18 times more at risk of being killed in an accident than car drivers and because car drivers can't be bothered to put down their phones in order to avoid driving over motorcyclists. 
Unfortunately, it still relies on drivers to take action rather than taking control from people like Gina, who is looking fresh to death today and simply has to Snapchat Chad while her mascara hasn't started running because of some drama that'll probably happen with Janice before lunch again. Bitch. Also in Germany this week, Mercedes broke ground on a 500 million euro factory to develop and assemble lithium-ion batteries for the company's electric cars. It's being called Germany's answer to Tesla's Gigafactory and is part of a billion euro investment by Daimler, which is getting set to launch several electric cars under the EQ name in the next couple of years. Although they have yet to release a single car, Mercedes-Benz expects electric cars will make between 15 and 25 percent of its sales by 2025. To meet that goal, they're going to have to move much faster than the average Mercedes drivers take to change lanes. In other news, every year Shell, the oil company, holds its Echo Marathon, which challenges students to particip and participants to eke maximum fuel efficiency out of an internal combustion engine using Shell's products, gasoline or hydrogen. Full disclosure, I used to work for Shell's PR company, but they sure as hell aren't paying me to talk about this or anything. Uh, it is, however, worth mentioning because of the impressive numbers that get put up each year by participants. This year, for instance, the winners were from Université Laval of Quebec, Canada, whose two-horsepower engine managed an incredible 2,713.1 miles per gallon. Granted, these are at low speeds with body shapes designed to be extra slippery and with skinny bike tires that are super low rolling resistance. In fact, a bicycle may actually end up being a more reasonable vehicle to commute with with these being tested, but it's neat all the same that they're encouraging this sort of innovation. South Beach Diet and Weight Watchers be damned if you want to stay your current size and keep off those extra LBs. What you should really do is pay Aston Martin between 3 and $4 million for one of their new Formula One-inspired, even though the company doesn't compete in Formula One, Valkyries. Why is that, you say? Well, because you're handing over so much money to a bunch of reasonably responsible British people, they will actually take a 3D scan of your body in order to build you the seat that most appropriately conforms to your own measurements, meaning your bucket seat would have bolsters, padding, and space for your love handles. Speaking of Aston Martin, the company has announced this week that it has signed a long-term partnership deal with New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. Carscoops reports that in this series, Brady will look to share his visualizations of where he sees beauty within sporting moments, as well as what continues to drive him uh, after already having won five Super Bowls and four MVP awards. Aston Martin VP and Chief Creative Officer Merrick Reichman said, Tom is an inspirational leader and athlete who clearly aligned with our view of Aston Martin. Rather unfortunately, Tom also aligns with everyone outside of Boston's view of total douchebaggery, so I'm not sure this was such a smart move by the company who once rebranded a Scion IQ and sold it to balance out their corporate average fuel economy. On the Best Coast, West Coast this week, Mother Nature decided she'd had enough of our puny cars accessing San Luis Obispo and promptly initiated a landslide that covers a third of a mile of California's Highway 1 south of the city. 
The rock and dirt is piled at least 40 feet high on the road, and the slide was actually large enough to change the coastline of the state. So if you are planning a Griswold-style family vacation along the California coast this summer, you may find yourself on a detour up the 101 past scenic Edna and Atascadero, where you should definitely stop and see the Charles Paddock Zoo, which I'm certain is not just Charles Paddock's backyard full of painted dogs. A recent Equitrend study from the Harris Poll showed this week that luxury brands marketing to millennials has been working. Millennials reportedly love luxury cars, especially Mercedes-Benz, to which the obvious response is, well, of course they do. Everyone loves luxury cars. That's why when car companies saw Ford come out with the Pinto, they didn't think, you know, that's good enough. They said, we can do better, and they have, but not everyone can afford luxury cars, particularly those same millennials. Conveniently, the study also notes that millennials are much less likely to actually own luxury cars than older generations. This poll follows other painfully obvious studies such as human beings enjoy chocolate and water most effective when wet. In his ongoing efforts to ease tension and make friends with other countries, Donald Trump today was recorded by several media outlets remarking on the German automotive trade surplus with the United States. Trump said, The Germans are bad, very bad. Look at the millions of cars they sell in the U.S. We're going to stop this. Predictably, this comment went over super well with everyone in the auto industry as well as everyone in Germany and in no way illustrated a lack of knowledge about how economics works. Finally this week, as proof that Americans can't ever have nice things, New Zealander Scott Dixon, who had just won qualifying for the Indy 500, was held up at gunpoint and robbed at Taco Bell in the virtually vacant metropolis that is Indianapolis. He and three-time Indy 500 winner Dario Franchetti were held up while waiting for Dixon's cheesy gordita crunch, primarily because McDonald's was closed and there was literally no other option on Sunday night in Indianapolis. While normally Taco Bell customers are robbed of dignity, a feeling of cleanliness, and the contents of their bowels, Dixon and Franchetti only handed over what was on them, which did not include the vintage Rolexes that they had outside in their car. If ever there was a reward for racing around a circle 500 times, this is certainly it. Now let's take a look at some of the new cars this week. Hot off my complaints last week that Mazda wasn't doing enough to get uh, the 40% of the U.S. vehicle market where they don't compete, there have been some fresh crossover sightings to suggest they're at least thinking about it. Uh, the company already has the small CX-3, the medium CX-5, and the medium-large CX-7, and the large CX-9, but they are apparently testing a medium CX-4, which is like the CX-5, but less usable, and a large-medium-large CX-8, which is like the CX-9, but also less usable. These are apparently meant for the Chinese market, since Mazda rightfully thinks that they have the U.S. market well covered with four crossovers, which is currently equal to the entire number of other cars that they have serving other segments, and that's if you count the Mazda 3 and Mazda 3 hatchback as separate cars. Volkswagen design apprentices have apparently released a concept called the Golf GTI First Decade, which makes the Golf R look tame by comparison. Uh, this really attractive light and dark blue colored concept 
has a four-cylinder gas engine putting out torque steer-inducing 404 horsepower to the front wheels and has a hybrid powertrain to drive the rears. Uh, if you had any hope of some sort of equal power output, you'd be disappointed to learn that the rear wheel motors only put out a total of 17 horsepower, which isn't really enough to do much but say that they do in fact turn on their own. This is just a concept, granted, and one with a ridiculous stereo and way too much power for a front-drive car, but it's cool-looking, so I will give V-Dub that. This week, Volkswagen also announced that a hot version of its tiny Up hatchback, uh, which actually has an exclamation point in its name, uh, this version, the Up exclamation point GTI, has a blistering 113 horsepower, and a slightly more impressive 143 foot-pounds of torque, uh, which sounds very small until you consider that this thing weighs just slightly more than a ton and is already a wonderfully handling vehicle. Uh, unfortunately, we won't get it in the U.S., where the smallest car we get is the Golf, uh, which means we'll have to go sideways to go up exclamation point GTI. Subaru was spotted this week in Michigan testing the BRZ STI, and before you start cheering, yes, this is finally the small, lightweight, fast, and great handling car we always wish they had made from the beginning, be warned. This car looks an awful lot like the BRZ TS by STI, a model Subaru only sold in Japan that basically took the car's excellent handling and made it excellenter. No additional power added. We see no signs of turbo, no hood scoop, no front mount intercooler, no big exhaust. So we could all be getting our hopes up for nothing. But that'd just be evil, Subaru. Come on, give it a turbo. Just a little bit. Unlike Subaru and Toyota, Skoda, the Czech car manufacturer, is going to give us what we want. I'm talking, of course, about an electric sports car which Christian Strube, Skoda's boss, discussed this week as coming out in the next eight years, which seems like a long time. As I mentioned in my deep dive about EVs uh, not killing the sports car, we will get sporty EVs. It's just going to take some time. And if the announcements keep coming like this from Skoda and that from MG's eMotion, we may not have to wait as long as we think. But it's Skoda, you say, and I've never freaking heard of that brand of car. Well, they're owned by Volkswagen, a company that loves to share technology among its brands. So while we may not see a Skoda-branded EV sports car in the United States, we may see it as a VW or Audi model. So there you go. Jaguar this week announced uh, and debuted a video of what they're calling the XESC Project 8. Basically, what they've done is taken their smallest sedan, the very beautiful XE, and dropped their largest supercharged V8, cranking out a ridiculous 590 horsepower. This comes after BMW announced their new M5, which is a larger class of car, and will have just 10 more horsepower than this Jag. Jaguar say that this, their most powerful ever street-legal car, beating both the F-Type sports car and the legendary XJ220 mid-engine sports car will be a collector's car, and they're only going to make 300 of them, so chances are you'll actually have better luck finding and affording the M5. But man, this XE is pretty. Um, if you like the idea of a fast truck, but you, like a true suburbanite, have never taken your truck off the uh, road, 
may think that the Ford Raptor isn't a good fit for you, and you'd be right. Uh, fortunately, Shelby, makers of the original Ford F-150 Lightning, as driven by Brian Spillner in the Fast and the Furious movie, have come up with something just for you. It's called the F-150 Super Snake, and it has 750 horses of white racing striped chrome-wheeled limited edition glory. They'll only build 150 of them, and they'll each cost 100 grand. but you know they're all going to sell out right before they get wrapped around a tree or telephone pole. Uh, as a quick note, the Workhorse W15, that uh, range-extended hybrid electric pickup that I covered either last week or the week before, uh, may actually be offered for sale to the public rather than solely as a government or municipal vehicle. To gauge interest, Workhorse has put a registration form up on their website so people can sign up to indicate a desire to buy it, uh, though with no formal commitment, of course. Uh, if you're interested in a 460-horsepower truck that will tow 5,000 pounds ago 80 miles before using any gas, um, head to workhorse.com where you can register your interest there. It's a cool, it's a pretty cool-looking truck. Uh, now for some obituaries this week. We do have several. Uh, rumors have been swirling today that the Nissan Juke is going to feel the cold, hard steel of Nissan's axe as it prepares to launch the Kicks, uh, a similarly sized SUV being built in Brazil. Uh, it's much more conventional looking and will probably appeal to a broader demographic than the Juke's, well, different styling. Uh, we'll confirm this next week if we hear that the rumors have been verified, but it's still a bit sad considering how far Nissan went out on a limb when choosing to, sh to sell the Juke at all. Uh, it it's a really different car. Um, also, it was announced this week that the famous Skip Barber Racing School, which hasn't been owned by <laughs> actual Skip Barber since 1999, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection because of some stifling debts that they've racked up. Uh, since the school has some pretty attractive assets, it's looking good that someone will probably step in and buy the school and help fix up its financial problems, but by the time that happens, it may have to undergo some very serious changes that make it fairly different than what many drivers have experienced uh, going through the school already. Uh, there are many driving and racing schools all across the country, but few with uh, as much name recognition as the Skip Barber School. So it's really sad to see uh, the school's current state of affairs, and hopefully soon we'll be talking about its rebirth. MotoGP rider Nicky Hayden died this week in Italy when the bicycle he was riding was struck by a car. Nicky was one of the rare Americans who really excelled in European motorsports, uh, knocking five-time-in-a-row MotoGP champion Valentino Rossi off the podium's top spot in 2006. He joined the sport in 2003 at just 22 years old, a year after winning the U.S. AMA championship and becoming the youngest rider ever to do so. Uh, the kid from Owensboro, Kentucky, who started riding dirt bikes at age three, certainly did his country proud by being a modest, eloquent champion, and he will be sorely missed on the MotoGP grid. Finally this week, Roger Moore, the longest-ever-serving James Bond, passed away at age 89. In his various roles, Moore got to drive and became inseparable from some of the coolest cars of the 1960s and 70s, 
including the Lotus Esprit Turbo from The Spy Who Loved Me and For Your Eyes Only, the classic Volvo P1800 from his television series The Saint, or his Aston Martin DBS from The Persuaders. Moore was, by all accounts, a super nice, modest guy whose acting years were followed by many years of activism for UNICEF and other charities. While he's never been my favorite Bond, I know he was for many, and he was a, a really good guy, and, and we're going to miss him a lot. Next week, I will be back with a deep dive on how I got into cars in the first place, but we will call it a day here. For this week's call to action, I think a lot of our minds are on Manchester and the bombing of the Ariana Grande concert there. Uh, Such senseless acts of violence targeted at utterly defenseless children can seem incomprehensible, but we live in a time of deep tribal polarity. That's not to say that we should just start to expect these sort of things to happen or even accept that this is the new norm. Instead, we need to be the individuals breaking down the barriers and leading the understanding that brings us closer together and thrives on driving chaos and division and raising borders. The reality is that we're all just human and that the divisions that exist are of our own making. They then rely on us to unmake them. So no matter how small this week, go out and try to unmake some barriers, just not the ones on the road. They're there for a reason. And with that, thank you for listening, and thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. I am going to leave you this week with some audio of the Ferrari FXXK. That's the track-only version. Absolutely bellowing around the Monza circuit. Here, friends, is your moment of zen. (laughs) Woo! <laughs>